Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing, episode 430. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Our partnerships with Florist Review are so valuable, providing a forum for beautiful and inspiring editorial content in the Slow Flowers Journal section, month after month. Thanks to Florist Review, you can now order a subscription for yourself and give one as a gift this holiday season. Set your 2020 intention to enrich your personal and professional development. You can find the buy one, gift one special offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 430. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at Longfield Gardens, longfield-gardens.com. 50 States of Slow Flowers continues today with a stop in Virginia. This year-long project is coming to a close, and it has been so rewarding to bring you a large cross-section of voices and stories of passionate Slow Flowers members coast to coast. I love it that we can approach a conversation about floral ventures from two perspectives, from a designer's point of view and from a grower's viewpoint. That's what today's interview accomplishes as we check in with two members in Virginia. In all, there are 20 members in Virginia, floral designers and flower farmers, and we've been able to feature several of them here in the past, including Lisa Mason Ziegler of Gardener's Workshop, Andrea Gagnon of Linvale Studios, Bob Wallum of Wallum Farm, Holly Heider Chapel of Hope Farm, and Jessica Hall and Chris Auville of Harmony Harvest Farm. I'll share links to those past Virginia episodes for you to check out in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Shonda Zelaya of Florida Casa Designs, based in Arlington, Virginia, serving the D.C. metro area in the northern part of the state, and to Kate Meyer of Chatham Flower Farm in Painter, Virginia, which is on the Chesapeake Bay on the eastern shore. Together, they give us a portrait of everything floral from the city to the country and how flowers factor into both regions. First, let me introduce Shonda. We met in 2018 when she attended the Slow Flowers Summit in Washington, D.C., and we recently reconnected at Holly Chapel's Flower Stock, also in Virginia, and I'm delighted that you can hear Shonda's story and her path to floristry today. Born in Costa Rica, flowers have surrounded Shonda since infancy. It wasn't until she married her best friend in 2015 that she realized just how much she loved flowers. A year later, Flor de Casa Designs was born. 
Inspired by comments from a complete stranger, Shonda's Northern Virginia-based floral studio now caters to brides who have a taste for natural beauty. Shonda specializes in fine art floral design, and she offers a design style for couples wanting loose, organic, textured, and free-flowing flower arrangements that take inspiration from the beautiful blooms found in nature. No roundy moundies found there, folks, Shonda insists. Florida Casa Designs has been featured in several publications, including Washingtonian Weddings, United with Love, Wedding Chicks, and Baltimore Magazine, among others. Let's jump right into part one of our Virginia stop on the 50 States of Slow Flowers series. I'll have photos to share and links to all of Shonda's social places in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com for episode 430. Let's get started. Hey, I'm so excited today to be talking with some friends and Slow Flowers members in the beautiful state of Virginia. And our first guest today is a designer, and she's going to share the designer point of view. Please meet Shonda Zelaya of Flor de Casa Designs. Hi, Shonda. Hi, how are you, Deborah? Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you bet. I'm so glad this worked out. I, I was just wonderful to reunite with you at Flowerstock earlier this fall. And I know you've just been doing so many things, exciting design things and all things floral since we first met when you came to the Slow Flower Summit in 2018. So um, I'm just as excited as our listeners to learn more about what you're doing. Um, I'm, yeah, sorry, <laughs> I, I, I can't believe it's been that long. I still remember meeting you in 2018. I'm like, how is it about to be 2020? <laughs> I know, really? Right. I know. Well, I'm curious uh, about all the things that you're doing. Can you maybe give us a snapshot of Flor de Casa Designs and kind of how you describe your business and what what your portfolio is of all the things you've got going on? Yeah, absolutely. So we're pretty much a a floral design studio. We exclusively just handle weddings and events. Um, Even though these days it's mostly weddings and events, um, I have a home studio. It's based in the Tyson's Corner, Virginia area, which is kind of a suburb of the Washington, D.C. metro area. So a lot of our events happen in beautiful wine country in Virginia, or they could very well be in some chic hotel in the D.C. area. So it's really nice because I get to serve couples that have different looks and aesthetics, which keeps my designs kind of... Um, it, it, I guess a little bit different, mm-hmm. just depending on the couple, which is always nice. Um, aside from that, um, I, I think, or I like to think of, of my couples as clients who are looking for something beyond, you know, what they would consider traditional or, you know, I've had couples tell me, oh, you know, we just love your designs because they're just not cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever cookie cutter means to them. But <laughs> um, I find that, you know, my clients are, are attracted by that. And so when I opened my floral design studio, I, I was in the process of figuring out what my design style was. Mm-hmm. And as I started designing, it kind of just evolved into this, you know, little floral studio that serves clients who are looking for something that's very different than what they would normally see. Don't you, I, I, you know, I'm coming to you from the West coast, so I might be about to say something very like kind of 
uh, stereotypical, but I, you know, I do think there's a perception, or has been in the past at least, that DC market is is pretty conservative and traditional and formal in the way weddings are, you know, kind of packaged. And I, I it sounds like that might be still around, and you're trying to help people who want to break out of that. Is that fair, or what do you? How do you see it? Yeah, I think so. So. I think the West Coast, for example, is more advanced, I think, when it comes to design in the sense that um, the designs that I see that coming out of the West Coast or even places like Australia or Korea, Mm. oh, my God, Mm -hmm. like those signs are um, a little (laughs) bit more, a little like they push the envelope a little bit more, which is what I'm personally attracted to. And in the D.C. area, it can actually be a pretty conservative town, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Yeah. Um, so it, it, a lot of the clients that are in D.C., um, a lot of their weddings are maybe paid for by mom and dad who are very conservative. And so the design style can be very conservative. And because I am attracted to a more loose and airy and organic um, maybe even with a hint of boho thrown mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. That's what I like to make. And I think in the D.C. metro area, um, it's now starting to become a little more like loose and airy and organic and not so much, you know, the tall, round. Um, <laughs> yeah, tight. Type of style. Yeah, yeah. So we're breaking out of that little by little in the D.C. area. So I really think I I came into the business at the right time because people are starting to stray away from that now. But it took a it took a little while. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think also you attract the kind of um, couples who um, are I don't know they're they're drawn to your personality and kind of your bubbly, you know, bubbly nature and outlook and your youthfulness. So you're, you're going to get a kind of probably a kind of couple that you'd probably just be friends with anyway, if you didn't, you know, have them as a client. I, maybe that's a really general statement, but I'm just guessing that, that it's hard not to become friends with your clients, right? You know what? It it, it is. <laughs> and I, and sometimes that can be a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it's challenging because then, you know, once you have reached a certain level of comfort with your clients, then they are very comfortable calling you at odd hours of the night. <laughs> All right. They're comfortable, like, texting you, and they're very comfortable sending you these messages. I have, at the beginning of my business, um, I, I have been in business for three years now. Okay. And when I first started, I would very well reply to my clients and I would be like, oh, well, got to get back to them, even if it was 10 p.m. or if it was 9 p.m., which are typically non-working hours. Right. So, you know, I have learned since then that I need to set boundaries and limitations. And so now my clients are, are I guess, trained. I can't find a better word to describe yeah, it, but right. they, they realize that if you sent me a text message at 8 p.m., you will not get a reply until the next day. Um, And so surely, you know, slowly but surely, that culture has changed. You know, as a business owner, you also need to know when something is wrong within your business and change it too. So as much as I love my clients, I also have to, you know, set some boundaries for them. No, I appreciate that. And I do think that happens as a business and the individual, you know, entrepreneur matures because I can only remember the 
early days in my life as a writer, and I would drop everything any time of the day or night if an editor reached out to me because I was so desperate to not lose that work. And um, now, wow. now I'm more like, hey, you can wait 28 for maybe 48 hours. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, so Shonda, what was your path to flowers? I, I didn't know that you started Florida Costa uh, just three years ago. So you're, you're pretty young in your business then. I am. I am pretty young in my business. I, it, so I'll try to make the story as short as possible. So, <laughs> it's okay. We want to hear it. <laughs> um, my path to flowers, I think personally, I've always had this kind of love affair with flowers ever since I was young, since I was a little girl. Um, I, I always like to touch them. I would go to the supermarket and you know, there's always flowers in the supermarket, mm-hmm. even if, if I call them the supermarket flowers. Mm-hmm. So I still, I feel like I need to like put my hands on them and I'd have to feel them. Um, obviously I was young then, so maybe it was just childhood curiosity, but as I grew older, I remember, um, sometimes we'd go to the supermarket and I'd pick up some flowers with my mom and I'd make something for the house. And that was that. My mom would sometimes ask, hey, we're having some people over for dinner. Would you mind making a pretty little arrangement for the table? Sure. And I'd make something for the table. Um, Eventually, that turned into, hey, my mom would say, my friends are having their anniversary party, and I want to give them a little, you know, flower arrangement. Can you put something together for me? And I'd say, sure. And I, you know, just do whatever I thought felt right. Was this and like, was this when you were like an, a teenager or like, yeah. were you still living at home? Yes, I was still living at home. Um, I was a teenager. I was maybe 17. Wow. Um, yeah, I was maybe 17. So I just like put little things together, but I never really thought anything of it. I just thought I, you know, I like flowers. It's a little bit of a hobby. Sure. I'll make something pretty and call it a day. Mm. Through, you know, I, I came into adulthood. I went into the corporate world. I started, um, I first worked in a hospital as a medical interpreter. Um, and I would interpret for patients from Spanish to English since my first language is Spanish. My mm. second is English. Mm. Thus the name of my business. Right. Um, it's in Spanish. I'm originally from Costa Rica. And so when I opened my business, I knew I wanted it to be something in Spanish. And there you have it. Um, so can I stop you right there for a sec? So Florida Casa means yeah. like um, house of flowers. Is that correct? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, so, so pretty. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. So um, I worked in the, in the hospital setting for a few years. Then I transitioned into the technology um, sector and I worked for a software company and then I worked for another software company and in 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 the business um, I was a marketing manager for my last company and so I had to travel a lot and I was you know selling you know this product to to the industry and I was really good at it I was good at selling <laughs> but it wasn't suiting me it wasn't I was sick and tired of being in an office I was sick and tired of having to do, believe it or not, the worst part of the year when I was in corporate America, when when I had to do my annual review. Oh my oh, God. Right. The worst thing. It was a punishment. I hated it. <laughs> and it was the worst. And so I remember one year I had to do the annual review and I said to myself, I am not going to be doing, I'm like, I, I was not built to work in a full-time capacity in an office. Like mm-hmm. my, I, it was not my life. So anyway, um, I, 
Then my husband and I, around that time, were celebrating our first year anniversary. So he took me to this nice little bed and breakfast in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, and it was amazing. And in talking to the caterer there, of course, I pulled out my phone and showed her some photos. And she asked, she was, oh, who did your flower arrangements? And I said, oh, I did them myself because I was adamant about making my own floral arrangements for my wedding. Oh, neat. Yeah, I figured I'm like, oh, if I've made little centerpieces and things like that, I mean, and I didn't want anything fancy. My arrangements were a bunch of hydrangea. Like, it was nothing. So I was like, I could totally do this. And so she goes, oh, who made your arrangements? And I said, oh, I did. And then she asked, what is the name of your company? (laughs) I said, I don't have a company. And she goes, oh, well, do you work for a company? I'm like, no. (laughs) I just kind of like flowers. And then she said, well, why don't you? Mm. And that was kind of like the little light bulb in my head. Mind you, this was four years ago. And, well, no, three years ago uh, when, she asked, when she asked this question. And I'm like, what? Like, why don't I? So that whole drive home, I'm like talking my husband's head off about the possibility of like making flowers for people. And, you know, could this be something feasible? And my husband said to me, well... I mean, you're not losing anything if you don't try it. I mean, it, it, I was working full time at the time and he was, you know, give it a shot. If it works great. And if it doesn't, well, no big deal. You know, you gave it a shot and, and it was fine. So I went home that night. The next day I was researching how to create a website. And like the week after I had a website, which was the worst website ever, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment. Horrible website. <laughs> no, yeah, horrible website. But I booked my first client within the month of having this website. How did the client find you? Just, that's just amazing. Yeah. So I put this website up and a friend of mine who was already in the wedding industry, she's a makeup artist. I had a meeting with her and I said, how do you get your clients? Like what do you do to get your clients? And I kind of like interviewed her. And at the time she was using Thumbtack and she was, Oh, this is what I do to get my clients. I'm like, great. That's what I'll do. (laughs) So Thumbtack is like a like an app or something? I, I remember you telling me about this, and I hadn't heard of it before. Yeah. So it's an app where whatever kind of service you need, if you need a plumber or a carpenter or mm. a hairdresser, florist, you can kind of find anything you need on this app. So what it will do is once you enter what it is, what service it is you need, the people in your area that provide that service will get a request and then you can send a proposal to that person. And then they will have the option of choosing whether they want to work with you or not. Wow. And that's, you You posted floral design services for weddings and a, a couple or a bride found you that way. Yes. And wow. a bride found way, yes. And then I was like, tickled pink. I was like, <laughs> I can believe somebody hired me. This is amazing. <laughs> um, and so it, I, it was the first, I think it was the first $780 I ever made. (laughs) And I was so excited. Um, And then that was my first year in business. And then after that, I've had a wedding. I had a wedding pretty much every single month. I I saw profit my first year. It wasn't a lot, but Mm -hmm. it was definitely a little bit of profit my first year in business. And here we are, you know, year number three. And Mm -hmm. I've, definitely learned a lot and I've learned to price my work where I should be pricing it. Um, and, and my love for flowers has just kind of grown and I really just become attached to what I do now. Oh, I, I love that. Truly, truly love. 
Okay, you're you've pro- you've said a lot of things that I know there'll be some questions that will inspire that if you have if you don't mind showing the answers it'll inspire folks. One is how long did you keep your day job before you you know cuz it sounds like flowers were your side hustle when you first started, right? Absolutely. Great question. Um so I I literally I remember sitting in my cubicle working on my website while I was at work. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that before. <laughs> So I'm just like, well, so I was getting to work at it. Um, so I, this is, I'll tell you exactly what happened. So I was working, everything was great. I started the business, then I started booking clients. I'm like, oh, I could kind of make a living off of this. So I went to my manager and I asked her if I could work part-time. She said, I'm like, okay, fine, no problem. Um, I kept working for a few more months and then Well, I kept my full-time job for a year and a half after I had asked to work part-time. And she said, no, I kept it for a year and a half. And then the business grew to the point where I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to have to go all in. So I went to my manager again and I said, hey, would you mind me working part-time? Like, I'd really like to work part-time. And again, she said no. So I resigned. Um, After I resigned... I remember I gave her my last, you know, my two weeks notice and I was actually up for promotion when I resigned. So she was, you know, definitely caught off guard. Mm. But after that, um, she came to me, uh, she called me into her office like a day or two later. And she's like, you know, I've really been thinking about this and I don't know that we want to lose you. So she said, how about you work part time? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's your idea now. Fine. (laughs) Exactly. So she said, yeah, go ahead and work part-time. And I uh, then started working two days a week. And I said, well, if I'm going to work part-time, then I want to set my own schedule. And I told her, I will work two days a week, two 10-hour days. And she goes, done. Wow. And I did that for a year and a half. And then I I resigned completely from that job in May of this year. So now I am fully just business owner. Wow, so it that's took, fabulous. It's a three-year journey, but I got there. <laughs> I think that that's really great just to show the incremental steps of, of you, obviously you were probably burning the midnight oil and, and, you know, felt like you had two full-time jobs when you were balancing that, but you, you made that sacrifice to get to where you are now. Oh my God. It was a lot of work. And that job, when I tell you that I traveled a lot, I was literally on a plane maybe every week or every other week on certain times of the year. There mm. were days that I be in Kansas and then from Kansas I'd fly to Arkansas and then from Arkansas I'd fly back home for two days and then I'd leave again and so juggling a job that and even while I was working part-time I was still doing a lot of travel yeah so juggling that and still trying to like grow a business and even manage a business and learn your business and learn you know all of these things it was really 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 hard and it did take a lot of commitment and dedication but I'm so glad I did it because mm-hmm. I did learn well, uh, here's another here's another question. I'm guessing that when you created the the first website, which it sounds like you probably have a new version of your website um, uh, up now that people can see, and we'll share those links. Uh, what did you put on that first website? Just the flowers from your own wedding that you had designed? I wish no. <laughs> <laughs> so on that first website, I. I would like walk around my neighborhood because it was in the springtime. Uh-huh. So I'd walk around my neighborhood and I would like take my phone and I'd do super close ups of like really beautiful hydrangea that were like purple and pink. Uh-huh. And then I that as a background. 
and um, I would make arrangements in my house. Like I'd make a centerpiece or mm-hmm. I'd make a bridal bouquet or I would just make a little boutonniere. I would make something in my home and then have my husband or a friend or someone take pictures of it. Mm. And poor people, I mean, I I made them take so many photos until the right angle was there. I mean, it was maybe a little ridiculous, but I made them do it. And so they would do that for me. And those would be the pictures that okay. I used when I had on my website. Yeah. until I booked my first client. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense and anybody could do that. You just have to kind of uh, create the content in real time and get it up on that website as quickly as possible. Pretty much. I mean, I had no idea what style shoots were when mm-hmm. I started my business. And so I would just, essentially what I was creating, I was just, I would go to my local wholesaler and I would, it was an investment for sure, because I would need to buy all these flowers and I'd need to make all these pieces just to take some pictures. Mm-hmm. Sure. So it was an investment, but it was the only way I could think of uh, being able to show my work so that other people could see that I was capable and they would then trust me enough to hire me to be able to do their wedding. I, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I do feel like that's a theme that I've heard all year, which is you have to put the work, you have to create the work that you want to be um, paid for, but you have, might have to pay yourself to do it first. And you have to put mm-hmm. it out into the world so that um, you attract the right clients and the people who do want um, your aesthetic and and maybe are inspired by what you've shared that is wasn't for a paying client. You just did it for the love of of design or or necessity yeah i'll tell you what deborah something that i have noticed is that after wedding season is over and after the waters have calmed down sometimes i'll just go into my studio and i'll play with flowers right i'll just kind of design for myself and yes i will make my husband take a picture of me of or of whatever it is (laughs) i done still to this day he he complains but he does it yeah um that's what they're good for yeah exactly those are probably some of my most popular like photos on Instagram or if I put it up on my website, they get like some of the most love. Some brides will take those pictures and send them to me as inspiration. I was like, mm. Oh, this is what I would have. Mm. And it's honestly some of the work that I've done for no one aside from myself. Uh, I think it's, it, it's a point that I've gotten to at, over the years. Um, because you mentioned, you know, defining your aesthetic. And at the beginning, I didn't really know what my aesthetic was. I I just wanted to make something to get paid for it. Um, now, as time has gone by and I have determined what is my design style and what is it I love to do and what kind of aesthetic I like to create, now I take those clients and I take those brides. Mm-hmm. I don't take many a year either. I I have always been committed to my family and that is going to be first and foremost always. So I am not going to be the floral designer that's going to take on 130 weddings a year. Mm-hmm. Not interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or, or even two on one weekend probably, right? Correct. Or even yeah. two on one won't do it. Because I think, you know, designing for me is an art form and you need to dedicate time to that art form. You need to love your flowers. You need to, you know, relish in the joy of making something beautiful. And if you're just cranking out an arrangement over an arrangement over an arrangement, it becomes stressful and it just becomes, the joy is just sucked out of it. And so 
to make it sustainable, I've just promised myself. I, I, and don't get me wrong. I've done two weddings on one weekend. And <laughs> I absolutely, I hated it. I was like, absolutely not, never again. Mm. Um, and so for me, one wedding a weekend is enough. And I take about 20 to 25 weddings a year. Um, that, that is sufficient for me. And with that, I, you know, am successful. I make a, a pretty decent amount of money. I have people that I've hired that work with me. Um, my husband and I live well, we travel a lot and that's the kind of life I want to lead. And I don't need more than that to get that, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. And you've diversified in that you're also teaching now and, um, uh, doing, well, you mentioned style shoes, but you're doing workshops and I don't think you're doing pop-ups per se, but tell me a little bit about the workshop you just did with West, West Elm. Cause that sounds like a perfect company to partner with. Oh my gosh. It was fantastic. So I thought about pop-ups, but that might be coming down the line. But the West Elm workshop is one that we just did this past week. It was last Thursday, actually. Wow. And yeah, it was a week ago and the event sold out. Um, we had such a good time and I got such positive feedback. I mean, being new in the industry and being able to partner up with uh, such a big name, yeah. um, at least like home furnishings, was like a little feather in my hat that I was not expecting to get. How, did, one, how did you pull that? How did you get the gig in the first place? So what um, happened, because I was with my best friend one day, she, we were just talking about decorating the house. She then said she had never been to West Elm. And I, all I could think was like, oh my God, this is a sin. How, like, how do you not <laughs> go to West Elm? And so I'm like, we're going right now. We kind of dropped everything we were doing and I made her go with me to West Elm. So we found the closest one, walked in the store and there's this girl who keeps looking at me. And then eventually, I guess she mustered up the courage and she's like, hi. She comes out. She was like, I'm sorry, but are you Shonda? And I'm automatically like, uh, yeah. What? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Do I know? So, and then she said, she was the sweetest ever. And then she said to me, I'm geeking out right now. I follow you on Instagram and I love your work and you're so amazing. And uh, and she was such a fan. And I was shocked. I love I, it. I was like, oh my God, like no one had ever come up to me in that way. Cause I mean, who right. am I? I'm, you know, <laughs> you're a newbie. <laughs> and it, yeah. And so she, and turns out she was the manager of the store. And then she said to me, would you ever consider hosting a workshop here? And I said, holy crap. Yes. Wow. I was great. Host here. And that's how it happened. We just kind of sat down like a day later, we sat down, opened up the calendar and said, what day? And we set a date and, and that was, that's how it happened. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Uh, they just, the power of social media and not even knowing who is going to follow Cause I'm sure that you have a lot of people in your own marketplace following you like this person, but you really don't know where they're all coming from. I mean, unless they reach out to you, it's kind of exactly. it's this mystery. I agree. Absolutely not. And so for me, it was, it was just a great experience in the sense like, Oh, like people actually like my stuff. <laughs> and at the same time, like when we were preparing the workshop, I had somebody from London send me a direct message asking if I would be willing to do the workshop on Instagram live so that she could see, because she obviously didn't live here and she would have loved to attend and I was like, oh, my God, someone wow. from London 
wants to see what I make. And so we did an Instagram live and I honestly, if I'm totally, I'm sure a lot of people saw it, but I really did it for her. Yeah. Because how sweet. And I was like, absolutely. I will do an Instagram live. Um, and so, yeah, it was a great workshop and you know, the store was still open during the workshop. So we had lots of great feedback and, the manager of the store said to me, you know, people keep asking me when we're going to do this again. And so I think we need to set another day to do this. And mm. so I think we are probably going to run another one in the spring. So I'm looking forward to that too. It's really wonderful because it seems like it's something that could really offset the wedding season and kind of complement your calendar year where, you know, maybe there's fewer win winter weddings. You can do more teaching in the winter. Um, it just like, sounds like a good, a good mix of, um, it and it's marketing too, right? Yes, absolutely. And so, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm one of those like big dreamers type of girl. So like when, when this happened, I'm automatically like, oh my gosh, what if West Elm corporate gets wind of this and the corporate office wants to do stuff with me, maybe on a monthly basis. And I'm like, what if I get to fly all over the place and do workshops at West Elm? <laughs> you'll, you'll be flying again, but you won't be selling uh, some kind of pharmaceutical or medical device, you'll be, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know exactly what you were selling, but some corporate thing. Now you, yeah. all right, from, from, you heard it here first, folks, we're going to wish this for Shonda so she can have this be the West Elm poster girl for flowers. Hey, <laughs> right. it, and they make a lot of beautiful home furnishings that need a floral component to, you know, make it warmer and warm and, you know, sensory, uh, for their spaces. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, they have such gorgeous, gorgeous things that, and, and this, because they're, they're design style for furnishings, it's, it's very modern, um, very minimalist in certain sense, but also very cozy. Mm -hmm. And so I think I'm like, Oh my gosh, my design style would complement their stuff. So, so, so nicely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. On the workshop, everybody that made a centerpiece got to put their centerpiece on a beautifully designed table with all of the West Elm goods and have it professionally photographed by mm -hmm. one of some great friends of mine mm -hmm. or wedding And so everybody got a keepsake of that. And so, yeah, it's, it, was, it, was, it was a great event. We really, really, really enjoyed oh, it. I love it. Well, before I let you go, Shonda, I want to talk a little bit about what's happening in your marketplace for local flowers. Um, I know you're probably... Um, you probably have a mix of what you're sourcing from uh, conventional, you know, wholesale sources that are probably imported versus a local Virginia grown mm -hmm. flowers. Can you kind of give us a snapshot of how that's working for you? Yeah. So I do use a mix of imported flowers versus locally grown flowers. And I will say that the peak season for me, I guess there's two peak seasons when I do order from my local growers mm -hmm. are spring and obviously fall. So in the springtime, Virginia is like, I'm like a kid in the candy store. I mean, we have local dogwood that grows out here. Mm -hmm. We've got local peonies and spirea and sweet pea. And so many of our growers provide these beautiful blooms that springtime for me in Virginia is where I pretty much go a little crazy mm -hmm. with my ordering from my flower growers. So you mm -hmm. find in the area that I've ordered or gotten blooms from before, one of them is called Harmony Harvest. They're based here in Virginia. Yep. Yep. 
Slow Flowers members. Wonderful. Yep. 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 Wonderful gals. Love them. I've also ordered from not Virginia, but Maryland, but they're still pretty local. Um, they're called Wallum. Is it Wallum or oh, Wallum? Wallum Gardens. Yeah. Bob Wallum. Yeah. This stuff is amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They're, so they have, they come out um, on Saturdays. They have, there's a farmer's market and they come out and sell their flowers at the farmer's market, which is amazing. So I, if I have an order, I'll place it with them and then they'll bring it to the flower market and I just have to go pick it up early in the morning on Saturday, which is great. That's cool. Are your, are your clients asking for local flowers or uh, is it just sort of, they, they don't know to ask, but when you tell them it's something that they get excited about? Yeah, so I've had maybe two or three clients ask about local grown or locally sourced flowers. And so depending on the time of year where their wedding is, I'll let them know whether or you know what we can get locally mm-hmm. for the style they want. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of my clients do not ask. Um, and I do tell them that I do mix. So I do go to my local wholesaler. But depending on the season, I will also get some amazing blooms from some of the local flower farmers in the area. Mm-hmm. And I think we get a little excited about that, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there's flower farms here? And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> well, you started to mention spring was really popular. It sounds like uh, late late summer into fall. Is that are you go kind of go toward the Dahlia palette or what? Uh, so once we go into like late summer into fall, then um, I start ordering my dahlias from farmers. And I'll tell you what, a dahlia that comes out of the ground from a local farmer will be a million times better than the dahlia that you get at your wholesaler. Mm-hmm. Um, I live, if I'm using dahlias in my design, you best believe they're coming from my local flower farmers yeah. because they are just stunning, stunning, stunning pieces of, of blooms, like gorgeous. <laughs> and they just don't ship well. So it's like the one the one thing you can get locally that's going to add that, I don't know, that special sparkle to your designs. Agreed. And so whenever, you know, when Dahlia season is here, I do a little happy dance because Dahlia <laughs> season is here. I love it. So I pretty much use my local flower farmers anywhere between mid-April to the end of October or so. And I only say that because that's where my, my wedding season is from mid-April to October. Mm-hmm. I might take one or two weddings after October, but very, very few. I, I typically don't. Yeah. Um, I'm at my wedding season and everything else is just time off for me to regenerate. Mm. That's great. Well, I can't wait to see some of your uh, recent work that maybe you can share for our show notes so people can uh, get to see what what is the Shonda Zelaya Florida Casa Designs aesthetic. And um, I'm excited to see where your career takes you and where your where your business takes you in the coming year. I um, I'm really grateful that we reconnected and that you joined Slow Flowers and are you're su- willing to support local flowers as part of your brand. It, it means a lot to me, and I, I hope it really pays off for you. Oh, thank you so much, Deborah. You're so sweet. And I am so grateful that I met you and that you are so encouraging to not only us, but the flower farmers that provide all of these goodies for us to play with. So mm-hmm. I 
appreciate you having me. And I look forward to being able to seeing you again, my dear. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I got to get back to the East Coast. And we're, we're, um, we're planning for the Slowflower Summit on the West Coast for 2020. But it, it will be back on the East Coast in 21. So stay okay. tuned. Stay well, tuned for that. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll see you on the West Coast. <laughs> maybe. That'd be great. <laughs> hey, um, so we're going to get some photos of your work to share with everyone and also your social places. And because you don't have any dates specifically for your next uh, workshops, uh, people need to follow you on Instagram and they'll you'll put announcements there. And um, I can't believe that you did an Instagram live for someone from London. So now you've kind of put it out there. People are going to expect that next time. I know. I know. Well, it's okay. We'll do the live, all the live. That's wonderful. Great. Thanks so much, Shonda. I really enjoyed this. And um, it's fun to get a snapshot of what's happening in Virginia. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was fun. Hearing about anyone's path to flowers is, to me, is inspiring. Of course, each person's story is unique, but there is often a common and universal thread, one that threads Shonda's story to my story, and my story to your story, and on it goes. That is, a yearning to connect with nature, to express ourselves creatively and artistically, and to find a profession in balance with a lifestyle of beauty. Don't you agree? So that thread continues with our second guest, Kate Meyer of Chatham Flower Farm. Kate has an equally fascinating journey to share, and you'll find yourself wanting to put Virginia on your travel list for 2020 just to see where she farms and lives. Kate Meyer and her husband, John Fitzpatrick, knew they wanted to settle on the eastern shore a few years back when John went there to harvest straw with his brother's company, Aiden Brook. They had spent many summers in Virginia during straw season, extending the length of time each year. After both spending many years traveling for work, Kate says they needed to feel grounded in a place of their own. It was just a matter of finding not only the perfect location, but a home as well. They found themselves unsuccessful after months spent trying to purchase another farm on the shore, and they had to start a new search. In one day, they looked at 13 properties, and Chatham Farm was the last one they visited. Kate calls it her Lucky 13 Farm. As she writes on Chatham Flower Farm's website, we knew as soon as we walked in the door that we had found our home. This farm was perfect in virtually every single way and has given us an amazing base to build from. By adding our growing into the same ground, we are able to add to the farm's long history. The land is the framework for our dream of growing beautiful flowers, lavender, and herbs, all while combining the barn studio, flower and artist workshops to support the history of this land and area of Virginia. Well, you will enjoy this beautiful conversation and be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode at deborahprinzing.com, where I'll also share links to Chatham Flower Farm's social places so you can find and follow what Kate and John are creating in their unique corner of Virginia. Let's get started. Well, I'm so excited today to continue our focus on Virginia with the 50 States of Slow Flowers series. And my guest for part two of this inter- of this episode is Kate Meyer of Chatham Flower Farm. Hi, Kate. Hi, Deborah. How are you? Um, Thank you so much for having us. Oh, you bet. You've been on my list all year, but Vir- Virginia's at the end of the alphabet. 
<laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, we've never met in person, but I, uh, we've corresponded um, by email, and I've, I've been really fascinated with how you've um, shaped your business, and I want to hear more about your story and share it with uh, the, the podcast listeners. So, Kate, give us a, a snapshot of Chatham Flower Farm. What, it, what are all the components? Because I know there's a lot of them. And where are you located? Well, John, my husband, John, and I started the flower farm only two years ago. And um, we're located here on the eastern shore of Virginia, which is kind of the forgotten section of Virginia. It's actually part of the Delmarva Peninsula. So mm. we're kind of out there um, s- surrounded by water. It's mm. very similar to living on an island um, in a lot of ways. Uh, we are, our farm is a historic property here on the shore, which dates back to 1690. Wow. Which is really cool. And, um, our business is pretty focused. It's pretty community based focused. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't do a lot of wholesale. We do, uh, farm markets, which this year I was nuts and I kind of did four. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Which was interesting, but I'm glad we did that. Um, we also have a large CSA customer base, which as most people know, it's kind of your bread and butter every day week kind of thing. And then we also have um, workshops here of many flavors, mm. and then we do we do events too. Mm-hmm. So our wedding our wedding event um, business has not taken off just yet, but it's starting to. So that's kind of mm. what we kind of all roll into one. And you know we're organic. Uh, practices naturally grown and we are a no-till flower farm when you say naturally grown is that the certified naturally grown designation no we're not there yet um that's something that we're we're actually going to be adding into our repertoire uh next year Mm -hmm. is to get that certification because i think it's it's so important especially here on the eastern shore which we are surrounded by big cash crop farming Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, you said in your, uh, one of the posts I read on your, um, website that, um, your brother-in-law had his, has hay farming or something. There's some kind of hay harvest that brought you out there. Yeah. So, um, in 2015, I, I used to be, to kind of go backwards a little bit, yeah. I used to be in the horse show business, working with show jumping horses and traveling all over the world. Wow. So I worked for the top of the line, U.S. team riders and so forth and so on. And so in 2015, um, John and his brother came here to the Eastern Shore to start bailing straw. And I flew from Germany here. Mm-hmm. and stayed with him for a week in Cape Charles, which is the last town before you cross the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. And while here in those eight days, we kind of both looked at each other and said, this is really where we want to be. This mm. is what we, the kind of community that we want to be a part of. Wow. And so that's what led us here. We still, John still does this, the bailing of the straw and so forth and his brother's company, um, which I used to buy my hay from in the horse business, um, is still active here on the shore. So we have a multitude of things that we're involved in. Wow. Where were you living then in 2015 when you kind of discovered the community? 
Well, that um, I was half the year. I spent the winter in Florida, in Wellington, Florida, with the horse show circuit, mm-hmm. John and I both. And then his brother's farm is based in the Hudson Valley, so near Newburgh, New York. Uh-huh. Um, and then in the most of the summer, I was in Germany, in northern Germany. Um, at that point in time. So yeah, when I said, where were you living? I was expecting you to say in a suitcase. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, the, pretty much. Wow. What, <laughs> yeah, a, what much. a journey. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. so the, the property that you bought, it, it's called is Chatham, like the historic <coughs> name of the farm or is it me? Is it the name of the town? No, actually, um, Chatham is one of the names of okay. the farm. We mm-hmm. actually have two historic names. We have um, Milby, which is what I've named the studio barn after, is also what this property is named after. This was originally a 3,500-acre la- King's land grant back in the 1600s. Um, it was a tobacco plantation. And in our what's called White Laws book here, which is the local book, history books, mm-hmm. we're listed. This property is listed in that twice. And our kitchen actually was built in 1690 and the young section of my home is 1820. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So it, you really takes a while to wrap your brain around it. And then the barn here was built in 1801. So it is a true gem of the Eastern shore of Virginia. And, um, now you have about three and a half acres. It looks like, uh, from that Mm -hmm. original massive parcel. Um, exactly. And, and, Something probably was already always farmed here. When you said tobacco, now where you're growing flowers, is that were, were those agricultural fields for earlier crops? Yeah, the our act, where we're growing actually on the property um, was mostly uh, just fallow land. Mm. Now we're surrounded by an active tomato grower. So I, uh, the back portion of our property where we have one of our big field beds um, is ne- right next to a tomato grower. And then there's a fallow field to the south side of the property that we're, which is seven acres that we're working on buying back. Wow. And um, it's, you can get some really interesting land grants when you buy from USDA, when you buy back into the homesteads, which is our plan. Wow. So we'll add seven more acres to this property. That's exciting. In the near future. Yeah, it really is. So go ahead. No, I was going to say maybe it's crazy, (laughs) but I don't know. Well, (laughs) I've heard of other people doing this too. It's sort of like, you know, we can't necessarily afford it, but we can't not afford to do it because it's, it's a precious part of, you know, this very, I don't know, this very historic, but also kind of um, this land you want to preserve, this place. Exactly. And and if we do, when when we do that, when we buy it back, we will put this portion of the land, all of it actually into conservancy. Mm. And um, so it can never be built on. It can't really change the footprint. And, um, and then... Yeah. So, and if we get more of it back, that would be great because when we can put hay or whatever on that and, you know, that would be even better. Well, there was something that I enjoyed reading on your website about this, um, you know, the tourism base of where you're living and that people are, you know, coming to your farm for workshops and events and fundraisers. and And I'm assuming it's seeing flowers is a big part of 
that uh, that allure for people. For sure. And here on the shore, you know, we're smack dab in the middle of the eastern shore portion of the Delmarva Peninsula. So I pull from Chincoteague Island and I also pull from down in Cape Charles, which is south of us. And Cape Charles is a town that is exploding in tourism right now. Um, It's a Main Street America town. Um, The closest historic town to us, which is called Onancock, is also a Main Street America town. Um, So we're really starting to see the tourism market change here on the shore. And I think from day one, when we started our business plan, because this was not the original farm that we tried to buy, we actually tried to buy a hundred acre farm. I don't know what we were thinking down (laughs) in Cape Charles. And, um, but from day one, our, our purpose was to offer, a place for um, locals to come, for tourists to come to, you know, it was completely agritourism based, Mm -hmm. which USDA kind of poo-pooed me on that on paper, as well as the floriculture. And the great satisfaction came (sighs) when I saw (laughs) the woman that we had been working with at USDA. She was like, you guys have done an an amazing job. And I said, see, agritourism tourism does work as well as floriculture. And yeah. it's so almost, it's, it's almost like the innovative and entrepreneurial flower farmers are having to go way out ahead of USDA. And now in small ways, they're kind of realizing that this is uh, a legitimate category of agriculture and they are they're They have to support it. I, I ex- exactly. I applaud exactly. That. And, um, you know, especially in, in small communities like this, which is, you know, there's a saying here on the Eastern shore, you're either a from here or a come here. And meaning you're, you know, Mm -hmm. you've moved here. And I said, well, you know, I, I've coined a new term called a stay here. I don't (laughs) plan on leaving. (laughs) I've stuck my stake in the ground and we, we absolutely love it here. We love the people. We love the atmosphere. We love the simplicity of it. And, you know, we have the ocean, the Chesapeake Bay, and farmland. I mean, there's oh, there's nothing more that you really need here, yeah. honestly. Well, well, it sounds enticing, and I've seen some photos, but maybe we can share uh, a, a gallery of images uh, on our show notes uh, for today's episode so people can meet you virtually and, and follow along with what your amazing story. Oh, definitely, definitely. We'd love to do that. So I, I started to ask you uh, this, and we got distracted. But um, you to, in, you bought the property in 2015. You started farming a couple or growing flowers a couple years later. Because I mean, what? How many years have you had the the flower side of the business? This will be. We just ended our second season, wow. so we are now going into our third season. And season one, we doubled, actually tripled what we were growing from season one to season two. And I'm planning on kind of scaling, not scaling back, but simplifying what we grew mm-hmm. because you know, as a flower farmer, you want to grow everything, and you know, we know what works and what doesn't work. And so now it's, you know, in the first year it was establishing our perennials and so forth and so on. And so now we know really what's going to do well here, what our demands are. So yeah, we're only going into our third season here. Wow. What, what background did you have that sort of gave you the confidence to grow flowers? Um, 
or is it just sort of your can-do attitude that, well, I can figure it out? Well, I, at one point in time in my life, I was living on Martha's Vineyard when I was working for a private horse farm Mm -hmm. up there. And, and, um, this farm had a gardener that did a berry garden, a cutting flower garden and all that. And that was really, and this was a number of years ago, that was my introduction to flower farming. I was very interested in what they did and how they did it and then having all those beautiful blooms. And mm. then the great thing about Martha's Vineyard is that you drive all over the island and there's these little stands, flower stands all over the place that have an honor system with flowers and tin cans, tomato cans, you mm. name it. Mm-hmm. And I have never gotten that image out of my head. (laughs) And then fast forward, you know, to when we bought the property, even just before we bought the property, I was really kind of rebranding my business as my art, my art business and my artwork and happened to come across first Tin Can Studios and then Florette. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, the color just, I couldn't resist. And I just, um, and I knew, we knew we were going to do specialty cut flowers of some sort and herbs. And we actually were planning on doing a lot of lavender and being lavender heavy originally. And, um, kind of after that, I, I knuckled down that whole winter and I mean, I watched every bear mountain farm video, (laughs) everything, you know, every single thing, every book I spent so much money on, on literature (laughs) and really just, um, you went to school. (laughs) I did. I took myself to school and, um, learned about mostly uh, first about soil health and I mean, when we first started, we had our soil here amended eight different times to get it right wow. because it was just so, it was nothing. It had and been, had been depleted over the years. Yes, very much so. I um, was, I was wondering if you had like sandy soil because you're being, you're so close to the bay, but maybe it's more like a clay, rocky clay or. No, it's, we don't have one rock on the Eastern shore. Oh, it's wow. you're hard pressed to find a rock, which is fantastic. <laughs> Come to my yard. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, but sometimes I miss those rocks. When I go to new England, I come home with a collection of rocks. Um, but the, uh, the sand, it, the, the soil is fairly sandy, loamy. And, um, so, but we're lucky enough that we're on the hot, one of the higher sections of the Eastern shore and we're kind of situated. The farm is situated in the middle. So we don't deal with as much sand as say someone, uh, you know, two miles to our East Mm. or two miles to our West. Mm. Um, so it was really just, just building that respect. Yeah. You just like, you had good structure. You just needed to get more nutrition into that soil. Exactly. Hmm. And that's really what led us actually after listening to, I was interested in no-till and then listening to your podcast with Andrew, I was like, this is what we have to do. Mm. We have Mm. to live our life this way. And I tell you, it has made such a huge difference in just this season alone. It's amazing how, how much, I mean, you walk across our beds and it's like walking on air. It's amazing. Wow. 
Boy, that's a that's a great endorsement for you know just even if someone's listening to this and they haven't explored no till, <clears throat> to just oh. set aside a section of your farm and and do a trial next year and just sort of see, you know how things do and um, maybe. It also, what it means for your labor that you're in your inputs, and uh, maybe exactly. that's the way to, to kind of your endorsement is kind of encouraging. And that you know, and uh, the labor was a big thing for me because I'm virtually a one man band here. I mean, John is the logistic guy. He he helps me with all the tough stuff with the silage tarps and the landscape fabric and all those things that we do. Um, but you know, he's busy doing his his thing with the straw and for Aiden Brook, which is his brother's company. And, um, so it is, it's me and whatever <laughs> volunteers I can get. So labor is in very, very important mm-hmm. because, um, in the beginning, you know, those precious dollars that you, that you start to roll in, it's not exactly, you can exactly throw to an employee. I yeah. mean, next year we're definitely, I will have an employee for sure um, to help me. And I'm hoping anyway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that will help myself, my situation as well. But, um, so the labor was very important, but mostly for us, it was the, the importance of the soil health. I mean, we, we do, we use mushroom certified organic mushroom compost and I didn't have to amend my soil at all in the entire season. Wow. That's great. It was, yeah, it was incredible. Well, hey, I want to also ask you about your art because you have this Milby Barnes Studio, which is the other name that is associated with your your heritage and your legacy. But how do you, how did you come to be a painter? And your work is beautiful. Well, thank you. Um, well, I grew up in Chadsford, Pennsylvania area. Hmm. Del- that Chadsford, Delaware line. Mm-hmm. And so I was heavily influenced by the Wyeth family growing up. Mm. I was fortunate enough to go to a school where we had an art majors program and you were pushed to do the arts, which sadly is lacking nowadays. And so I've always painted and it was very hard for me, obviously, to paint while I'm traveling all over the world with horses. So it was always kind of on the back burner and I've been in multiple galleries. I've sold work all over the place, but I was never able to really focus on that. So when I retired and I, you know, you retire at age, what, you know, at a young age, it's kind of like in quotation marks. Mm, Um, because of just the wear and tear on your body working with horses. Yeah. And you know, you're, you're working for somebody else's dream in in a way, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate. I've been all over the world and I would never trade it for a million dollars, but I really wanted to focus the second half of my life on, on my own business. Mm -hmm. And, um, so as a full-time artist, you know, it's hard to be able to rely on a consistent income because, you know, it's, art is up and down. And, um, so I combined the flower farm with the studio. So the artwork, the artist in me is my winter, uh, occupation, fall, winter Mm. occupation. Mm -hmm. Flower farming is, you know, eight months out of the year here. And, um, but it's heavily influenced my design and how I work with the flowers because, 
with the color and color theory was one of my favorite subjects mm, and mm-hmm. color of flowers. It's, um, it's a, it's, it's married. It's the same. A creative is a creative is a creative. And I'm one of those that believes that artists, artisans, creators, makers, and farmers are all in one of mm, the same. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful the way you portrayed that. And I agree with you completely because there's this, the urge to grow is very similar to the urge to make art and you can't not do it. Basically. It's just so integrated into your, your DNA. And I love the balance. Um, I just looked at a few of the pieces that you had on your other website. Um, Mm -hmm. and it looks like a lot of it, it, what, at least the ones I saw are very much about landscape. Is that your Mm -hmm. specialty? Um, actually, you know, my, as an artist that you are constantly evolving and it always has been my focus in the past. And I'm actually moving away from that. And I'm now focusing on (laughs) somehow I came back to the horses and for years, for years. Yeah. It's crazy. For years, I refused to paint the horses because knowing them intricately and so well, I, and also being an artist you know, artists are their worst critics. (laughs) Um, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to do this because I know I'm going to, if I don't get it right, if I don't get the shading right, I'm going to beat myself up. Mm. And then I finally just gave up and started painting horses. And Mm. I haven't, I have quite a few pieces that I have not put on my website yet. My, my art, the Milby website is about to undergo a big change because of not only my work, but also what we're doing here with artist workshops and gallery openings and exciting. And yeah. Yeah. So that's, and you know, in our, and our, we've already got a few weddings booked here. So there's a whole nother <laughs> gamut to Milby barn studio, but that's, yes, for, that's cool. I've always been obsessed with the earth and the sky and especially the water. Mm. I'm an ocean girl at heart for sure. Wow. Well, the fact that you're able to, well, first of all, thank goodness it's almost winter because you can do all, get all this, uh, you know, updates and, and rebranding, you know, in place, hopefully before the spring when you have Mm -hmm. to be out on the fields. But uh, the idea that, again, it kind of plays off of uh, your your community-mindedness where you want to create a space for other artists as well as, you know, b- nurture your own art. Um, exactly, exactly. In fact, you say on, the, uh, on your homepage, uh, a working flower farm and artist's retreat. I mean, who wouldn't want to be there? <laughs> it sounds wonderful. I know, and, it's, and we've already, had, you know, we've already had Art League um, paint outs here. We've already had, we had last week, we had our first um, opening recep- reception, kind of a gallery-themed kind of uh, reception for an artist in, out of Cape Charles, and Sold a bunch, and you know, we only hung the show for four or five days. We have um, the Eastern Shore Artisans Guild Tour, which is in its seventeenth year. It's a drive uh, driving tour here from top to bottom on the Eastern Shore mm. of Virginia to open studios, and that's two days. That's Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving. So I'm actually up in my studios upstairs in the barn right now. 
trying to get furiously because I'm like, after our event meet at the table, I was like, oh, I've got five weeks. Well, of course I'm behind the eight ball. Oh my gosh. Well, um, we had flowers growing until last week. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Cause your climate is a little, mo- you know, moderated by being by the ocean. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Kate, we, I wanted to touch on the meet at the table event. Cause I know it's sort of a blending of your art world and your flower farming mm-hmm. world. And let's wrap that. Let's wrap this up with that. Um, you invited me to come out. It was in October. I wasn't able to come. But um, this was the second year of your farm-to-table dinner, right? Yes, it was the second year. Last year, it was another harebrained idea of mine that I could take it and do it. And I planned the event. I was actually leaving a bridal shower that I did the flower work for. And uh, I planned last year's event with help of artists and farmers here on the shore um, that we now are a committee uh, Mm. in three months. And Mm. we had... So last year's event, um, it's a true farm to table, field to fork kind of, and flower to vase, you know, field to vase rather, mm-hmm. yeah, um, event. And we <clears throat> last year we we donated all the proceeds to two five hundred one c threes, and that was the Delmarva Farmers Union, which is a small grassroots uh, farmers union based here on the Delmarva Peninsula, which now I'm on the board of, and then the Eastern Shore Artisans Guild. So it took two of those things that are very near and dear to both John and my and my heart. And we did the same this year and we upped it to 250 people. Wow. Wow. And which was a little too big for my liking. I, it's very important to have the connectivity within this um, event because it is a truly 100% local event. From everything that you eat, drink, and see, it's from here. Wow. Or from the Delmarva Peninsula. So Wow. That's amazing. So <laughs> you yeah. um, you're provide the venue. Do you all, what else do you provide? The, the uh, flowers or... I did the flowers all myself last year. This year, I uh, incorporated a friend of mine, Carrie Jennings, who has Honeybee Flower Farm up in near Easton, Maryland. And she and I combined what I had and what she had to do all the flower work here Mm. for the event, which Mm -hmm. this year we did so much more. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, That's so good. without her help, I wouldn't have had nearly enough unless I called my wholesaler, yeah. which I did not want to do because again, it's that aesthetic. It's all coming from the ground of the Delmarvin Peninsula. Right. And then you had, you had other, I mean, as you said, there's a committee now. So there's other people who are working on the menu and the, whatever you Right, right. You know, and I mean, we have serving the for wine or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, we had one. We had four chefs this year, and we kind of each chef did a tasting of what they represented. And one of the chefs who is local to this area um, cooked a lamb, a goat, and a pig that he they killed a local farmer here, right down the road, which is they're very good friends of ours at Perennial Roots. They killed those animals three days before the event processed them, prepared them, and then cooked them Hawaiian style in a pit that we dug here on the farm. Oh my goodness. Wow. So you, I mean, it's, it is, that was an unbelievable, true farm, literally farm to table meal that he provided. It was unbelievable. 
And that was a, it, that was just in, incredible. Blew my mind. So, so this is leading to just a couple kind of marketing questions, and that is, uh, you know, I know other farms have done um, flower farms have done their own kind of version of a farm to table dinner, uh, maybe for marketing or f- mm-hmm. even for revenue. And it sounds like in your case, making this a uh, a cause related charity event has allowed you to bring more people in and maybe yes, your farm is still getting marketed like crazy because you're the venue, but you don't see it as a profit center. Exactly. I mean, we're not making any money on it ourselves. We try and pay ourselves back, um, which this year was a lot harder to do because the expenses were so much more, but the, um, most of the, most of the product and everything gets donated mm-hmm. by the farmers. The time from the chefs gets donated, the artwork that we put through the auction. Um, so our goal is next year, we're, we're changing a things if a little bit, we're actually going to change who we donate to and we're picking the art league instead of the artisans guild. And then we're also donating directly to a local farm here Mm. um, because it is something that is the demographic here on the Eastern shore is a little, a little hard because of there's so much cash crop farming. So Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of, there's, there's not a lot of farm stands and so forth. So it's important to bring that awareness to specific farms. Sure. And, and eventually I'd love to carry this event on and take it to another farm. So not only are we benefiting that farm, but we're bringing the awareness to that farm. Right. Right. That makes sense. It's almost like you're, you're going to incubate the next farm that will be hosting it. And (laughs) <laughs> that's my hope. That's my hope. Wow. I mean, I don't mind putting it on. I don't mind. We, we have the situation down here, Pat, because we have the tent in the field connected to the barn. It's easy. It's everybody gets it, but it would be nice to move it. Mm-hmm. So we benefit somebody else in a different manner, not just monetarily. So all of this, uh, makes me want to as, I don't know, just kind of get a snapshot of the climate for accepting local flowers. Like, has this helped? And just the presence of you and your energy and what you're doing at Chatham Flower Farm, has it kind of changed? When you talk about living in a sea of cash crop farming, is, are you kind of the novelty? Are you like, what, what are the positives that have come out of this? Yeah, the, I think it has brought, yeah, definitely has changed it in a positive light. I'm one of two flower farms here on the Eastern shore. There's another older couple that is retired that does it and does some local markets, but really goes over to Virginia Beach to sell mm-hmm. um, and does a lot of wholesale work. And Linda and Tom are amazing and I love them. And we kind of help each other out when we get to see each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has brought a lot of awareness to what you can grow here. I met somebody at Meet at the Table this year who just moved to the shore, so she's going to be a flower farmer here on the shore, which is amazing because I think that it would be wonderful if I could drive down the Eastern shore of Virginia and see all those flower stands that inspired me way back when, when I was living on the vineyard. Mm -hmm. And, um, especially here because it's so important to have the food for the pollinators because there's so much overhead spraying that goes on here with the wheat and the soybeans and all of that. 
So it's important to feed our nature here. And as you know, flowers are the ultimate in pollinator food. Right. Um, So if we can, if I can say that I started the ball rolling and 10 more flower farms pop up, that would be incredible. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm going to let the check back with you uh, in in the not so near future so we can get an update on um, the little uh, movement you're creating to have every roadside with its own flower stand, uh, you know, just to, to, I don't know, just connect people who visit the, the people who come and the people who live there, uh, with a different kind of agriculture. I love that. Yeah, that would be wonderful. We hopefully (laughs) we'll have a whole lot more to tell you. (laughs) Uh, Kate, thank you so much for chatting today and showing a snapshot of your life and your, I mean, it's a beautiful life. And the fact that you have flowers and and art and community is really what I think is sort of sums up the, the, I don't know, that's something that we all desire. And I, I really appreciate you sharing it with us. I know it's not easy, oh. and, uh, but it's, it's beautiful. Thank you so much. And I mean, what you do for all of us, I mean, I've been listening to you for a long time and, and what you do and your community yourself and putting us all together. Mm. So as you inspire us and I just thank you for the opportunity and I thank you for what you do. And I look forward to hopefully chatting with you again and maybe yeah. we can get you here for meet at the table next year. Yeah. That sounds like it's, um, I must do that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, listen, good luck with your art show and thank you so much for uh, jumping on the line with me today. I'm really looking forward to getting this um, in our Virginia special and uh, including photos that I know you'll send over. Oh, yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, Deborah. Thanks, Kate. Mm Thanks so much for joining me today for this two-part Virginia visit to meet Shonda and Kate. I'm inspired by their floral narratives, and I hope you are too. I wrote and recorded the introduction and transition segments for today's episode last Friday. I guess they call that Black Friday, after Thanksgiving, when everyone is supposed to be shopping or putting up holiday decorations. My husband walked into my office and found me at the computer around 7.30 in the morning, and he said, you're already working? I thought about that for a split second and answered, it's not work if I love what I'm doing. Well, that's truly how I feel. I bounce out of bed every morning, eager to continue this passionate endeavor of nurturing my Slow Flowers relationships in our community and promoting the Slow Flowers movement as far and wide as possible. It is an honor and a continual source of joy and personal satisfaction. And P.S. I didn't sit at the keyboard all day. I set aside plenty of time to plant the last 100 or so tulip and narcissus bulbs that day. Our next sponsor thanks goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. It has already been a whirlwind season, not only because of the holidays, but because 
on Monday, December 2nd, we kicked off the early bird ticket sales for the 2020 Slow Flowers Summit. That's right. Take advantage of your registration for the 2020 Slow Flowers Summit and save $100 off your registration price if you purchase by the end of the month, December 31st. If you've not yet checked out details, you can find links to all the exciting news about our partnership with Filoli Historic House and Garden, our venue for days one and two of the summit. That's June 28th and 29th. And who's on our fabulous speaker lineup? By the way, day three is an exclusive behind-the-scenes tour led by our friend Christina Stemble, CEO of Farm Girl Flowers. This is rare access, folks, available only to summit attendees. And as I said, you can check out all the details in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 553,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. We ended the month of November breaking all past podcast listener records for the first time ever breaking 15,000 downloads in a single month. Thank you for joining the community and the creative conversation. I love having you join us every week. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks today goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. You can also find a link to our latest article for the November Johnny's Advantage newsletter. Johnny's asked me to write about sustainable floral design after hearing Toby Nelson's presentation at the 2019 Slow Flowers Summit. My Q&A with Toby is inspiring and chock full of better choice mechanics and techniques for foam-free floristry and more resources. You can find the link to that article in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Music